0: and we are in our second week of what we call advent conspiracy and as pastor randy said on the video just a moment ago uh advent of course means it's the latin word for coming and the conspiracy part of this whole thing is an attempt to conspire or just to intentionally plan as we go into this christmas season Not to get caught up in all of the materialism, and the commercialization. Now, I think giving gifts to friends and families, that's a wonderful tradition of Christmas. And by all means, let's keep right on enjoying that. But you know how it is. We can just get wrapped up in the materialism of this holiday sometimes and lose the real core meaning behind it. And so we're just trying to be very intentional here at Calvary Church. So conspire together so that in the midst of all of our spending, and giving, we can agree to set aside, pool our resources in a way that can make a real difference in the lives of people. And we have uh, identified three needs during this Advent season that have just come upon the hearts of us here as a church family. And on your seat, you have a card uh, called the Gift of Hope. On one side, it talks about the Hope and Friendship Foundation. So one of the things we're doing during Christmas this year is we as a church family, we're just going to go shopping for our community. We have over 70 families right here in the village of Lamont that are facing extremely difficult times right now. And, uh, and so as we take our shopping carts into Jewel and Target and... Uh, or there's other stores we have around here let's let's fill those gar- let's let 's put stuff in those carts that are going to meet the needs of people in our community and and the shopping list of items is right here on this card so take this with you when you go shopping and we can we can really make a, we can demonstrate that our faith is real and that our the love we talk about is real by reaching out to our community in this way, and then also uh, upon our hearts this year uh, two individuals that uh, uh, have come into some real difficult times through accidents and justin rogers um, mentioned this last week justin uh, about seven or eight months ago was uh, hit on his motorcycle and uh, nearly died and and next week, uh, Mary Ann, his mom, is gonna be here to tell us a little bit that, about that story. Justin has a surgery, another surgery coming up this week. So we're not sure if he's gonna be able to be here next week. We're hoping that he will feel up to it. If not, perhaps the next week. But Mary Ann's gonna share his story a little bit with us next week. This morning, we are honored to have the second person that is upon our hearts as a church family to reach out and help. And uh, and his name is Nick Younglove. And I introduced Nick's uh, situation last week, uh, an accident and, uh, about four months ago uh, that has left him in a wheelchair right now and with some paralysis. And, uh, and you know what? We are just, uh, we're really honored to have Nick right here with us in the service this morning. So for the next few moments, uh... nick and i are going to sit down together and we're going to just uh... talk about what what's taken place in his life so would you welcome nick as he comes (laughs) and and again nick uh... it's um, I enjoyed uh, the other day when we had a chance to sit down in your house and visit together and I got to hear some of your story that day and uh, and I left your house that day I will tell you deeply moved uh, and uh, and I've shared that with several people since that conversation and uh, and I'm so I really am grateful that you're here this morning and uh, so I guess you know the first question I would have for you is just to uh, to tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, your interests and all those kinds of things that you've been up to over the years and you uh, just get inspired by, you're really into. And then, and then from there, just tell us a little bit about uh, the accident that took place.
1: So I'm definitely a very physically active person. Um, I was very into cycling, um, working out, lifting weights and everything. Uh, Went to the gym every day before work was like my favorite thing. Um, Also big into the outdoors, hiking with my family. Uh, White water rafting um, was always a big vacation. We like to do every couple of years. Um, Yeah, pretty much anything outdoors. We loved it. Definitely something my mom and dad instilled in us from a young age. Um, I had helped out at uh, my church Parkview with their um, high school. Youth group. I was a group leader there for three years until um, I started working on an MBA. So having night classes during the week kind of made that tough to do at the same time. So I'm also halfway through my MBA right now at Benedictine University where I work. Um, and I'm um, just kind of taking a break from that right now, but looking to return to that soon. And um, yeah, that's kind of my life prior to the accident. Uh, and you
0: said that you are, you're a graphic. Graphic artist in there too? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's, that's another thing I remember from our conversation. So a long list of things.
1: Mm-hmm. yes yeah, so I'm a graphic designer at Benedictine University in their marketing department. Um, so then, yeah, about my accident, uh, we were on a family vacation in Michigan, um, which we do every year, just uh, renting a lake house, doing a lot of water skiing. Oh, water skiing is another one of my favorite things. So <laughs> we do a lot of that there um, and tubing. Um, so yeah, we were just playing in the backyard with my younger cousins and uh, I put together a little obstacle course and then at the end of it it was just diving underneath a tube that you pull behind the boat so I hadn't quite pushed it out into deep enough water so um, just kind of tucked my head a little too far down uh, when diving from the shore there. Um, So then yeah that uh, fractured my C6 vertebrae Uh, I was rushed to South Bend Memorial which was the closest trauma hospital where they did uh, surgery and there's a bone graft and then a rod, uh, to put my spine back together. Um, and then, yeah, I spent two weeks there, um, just recovering and waiting to hear it as far as what rehab hospital I would be able to go to with insurance and everything. Um, yeah. And then, uh, oh. so can't use my hands. Um, and then I'm paralyzed from like the chest down and, uh, no triceps. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, and kinda how it all happened. All right, and Nick, you know, um, I
0: think uh, the next question I would have, and maybe we would all has, have, is, you know, in the four months or so since this has happened, um, you know, how have you, you know, been able to emotionally process this?
1: Yeah, um, I don't have anything extremely profound. Uh, it kind of yeah. comes in spurts, and every little stage has different things you go to through. Um, at first in the hospital, everybody is coming to you with every story of every person who's ever walked after being paralyzed. So you're like, oh, you're having to walk for sure. Like, let's just get this over with. I'm ready to walk. Um, but then, you know, as time goes on, you just adjust to um, your circumstances and going through therapy. You know, you just get more used to it. And I know that God can perform miracles, and we're all still praying for that. But... Um, it's usually about a year or so is when you kind of max out on new potential um, regaining of movement or sensation so as it gets closer to that you just kind of become more accepting of where you're at and um, just uh, you know continuing to make progress with what you have um, which is uh, also the focus of all the therapy that I go through right now is just movement and becoming independent with what I have now, and then, you know, as we gain more, they help you with the, with that as well, so. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: and I think the other question, just to follow up on that one, is, um, you know, how, uh, I know that you have your faith in Jesus Christ, how have you been able to um, deal with this spiritually in terms of your faith,
1: Nick? Uh, friends and family have definitely played a huge part in that, um, we have a big, Family group text message that my grandma and aunts are and mom, everybody's always sending devotionals um, and scriptures that we find. um, Also, just in my devotional life, uh, I have the Bible app and a ton of scriptures I just keep bookmarking since the accident that are kind of speaking to me. And um, just praying and hearing everybody who's praying for me has also been a huge encouragement. Um, Keeps me going and. Want to stay strong for everybody else as well as myself. So, okay. yeah, it's just been great. All the outpouring of support. Um, good. And good. then, yeah, I've the, always been kind of like a calm person, and God has always provided. So, all right. just staying calm and knowing that He's there with me as well. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. That's tremendous. Um, I think you already said a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the treatments that you're going through. Anything? Anything else to add to that?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of really cool um, stuff we're doing in therapy. Um, there's a, a bike we actually just ordered um, that uses electrical stimulation in like my legs, just so that um, you know you get kind of some muscle use down there, and it helps with stuff like muscle spasms. So hopefully that's going to be delivered soon. A uh, uh, lot of stuff on just focusing on becoming more independent, working on in the kitchen and. Uh, transferring to and from bed and getting out of the chair on my own Um, looking forward to driving soon going through that Um, there's adaptations to cars so um, just doing that training and also getting back to work they help with that a lot too Mm -hmm. with uh, adaptive equipment to use computers and everything all right okay yeah so it's been going very well so far
0: all right excellent and i guess the final question uh you know uh, share your desires, your hopes, uh, your thoughts for the future, goals, things like that, Nick.
1: Um, So yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing my MBA, hopefully maybe starting back in the spring quarter uh, and also returning to work. My goal for that is toward the end of January. That's kind of when my outpatient rehab is set to um, finish as well. So kind of making that transition, that'll be nice just to get back into a normal schedule. Um, yeah, and then as far as uh, once I finished my MBA, I was thinking about some kind of potential career change, but we'll see where uh, the Lord takes me with all that. And uh, another goal was I was looking forward to moving downtown after finishing my MBA and getting a job down there or something. So so hopefully right. we we'll do that as well. Amen. All In right, city. Okay.
0: Well, let's uh, show our appreciation for Nick being here. Nick, just a second. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Just a second. We'll pray with you. And, um, and you know what? Let's just take a moment and pray with Nick this morning. Father, we thank you so much for Nick. We thank you, Lord, for every, one of, every day of the 27 years of his life, Lord, and the meaning of his life. And Lord, we've heard... Him share here today personally the value he places upon life and upon the life that you gave him. And Father, uh, we don't understand accidents and so we don't understand all these things, Lord, but we know that we have a faith in a Savior who does understand and who is with us and never abandons us. And so grateful, Lord, to hear from Nick's own lips that he maintains his trust in you. Uh, And Father, we just pray today as a church family, along with many other thousands of people that are praying for Nick, that you will touch him, touch him physically and continue to bless him emotionally and spiritually as he walks this journey, Lord, as as he trusts you, as he places his hand in your hands. Father, we just commit him and every day of his life to you and to your mighty power and your mighty grace and love. Pray that you would touch him, and be with his family as well, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Nick. Sure. Yep.
1: I also just wanted to quick do a big thank you to everybody who helped at construction at uh, my grandma's house. I know there was a group of people who came out and built the ramp, as well as uh, Phil doing a bunch of construction, and Clark, and Celia, and my Uncle Dan. So I uh, just thank you all for your help and support in that as well. God bless you. Thank you, everybody.
0: God bless you, Nick. And uh, members of Nick's family are right back here with him too. Grateful to have you all here this morning. Well, um, we'll share a little bit more later on uh, how we can give in Advent Conspiracy and give toward helping Nick with a lot of the equipment that he now needs uh, and uh, and just some of the medical expenses that sh- insurance doesn't cover. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. So, um, Last week we learned a lot from the wise men about how When they came to worship Jesus, they also came bringing him gifts. They gave their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we saw last week how those gifts became the resources for the Holy Family when they had to flee as refugees into the land of Egypt and go through that time of suffering there. Uh, And we learned from the wise men that worship and giving always go together. You can't separate the two. Now, this morning, I want to come back to the wise men because they really are an example to us of our Advent theme this year, which is the gift of hope. And they show us two ways in which they gave the gift of hope at that very first early Advent season. I think we can learn from them. And the first way is they gave the gift of hope by sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, um, they were they were called Magi. They were from Persia, and the wise men were the uh, they were the scientists and the rationalists. They were the intellectual elite of that time in ancient Persia. In fact, if you study your history books, uh, the cradle uh, at least one of the great cradles of uh, science where science developed was in ancient Persia. Mathematics, astronomy, uh, a lot of other fields of science. You can go back there. So they were part of that whole scientific uh, scientific group of people at that time. And they studied uh, two great books. They studied the book of nature, especially astronomy, but a lot of other things too. And they were also studying the book of God, the scriptures which had been introduced to their culture about 600 years before this when the people of Israel had been carried captive into the land of Babylon and the whole eastern, uh, far eastern regions there, including Persia. And so somehow the scriptures, with that prophecy and all the other prophecies of the scriptures, uh, they saw that one in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, where it talked about a coming savior, redeemer of the world who would come and give the world hope. And it goes like this, a star will rise from Jacob, that is the forefather of the people of Israel, and a scepter or a king will rise from the nation of Israel. And they put that together with all the other prophecies they had read about this coming king, savior. And, uh, and so they got excited. They began connecting dots. There, and so what, we're, what this boils down to is that their study of science And their study of the scriptures led them to the same place. Actually, I should say to the same person. It led them to Jesus Christ. In science, they saw an awesome and a beautiful universe and a beautiful, beautiful planet. But they also saw that this planet had suffered some sort of an invasion of evil and pain and struggle. But it didn't obscure the fact that this is a beautiful universe. And they studied it. They, they were fascinated by the universe. But in the scriptures, they saw that the prophecies about this coming Savior King, who would bring salvation, justice, peace, and the kingdom of God back to the earth, that they, they put those two books together. You know, we live in a time when Christmas, for many people, has lost its meaning because the story of Jesus Christ has a lot of times been given the same status as the story of Santa Claus. Uh, Santa Claus is just a myth, although I didn't always know that. Uh, when I, up until I was in second grade, uh, man, I was a huge advocate of Santa Claus. I mean, in fact, I still, I, I love imagination. I'm not anti-Santa Claus, okay? I think kids need an imagination and all that kind of stuff, and, uh, but I was in second grade when my best friend's older sister, her name's Beverly Muir, and if Beverly, if you happen to hear this message online, <laughs> hey, I forgive you, but in second grade on the way home on the school bus, she told me there was no Santa Claus. And I vigorously debated her. I made all my best arguments, some of which I'm sure were, well, wait a minute, I saw him come to town at the Macy's Day Parade. I saw him with my own eyes. Uh, I sat on his lap down at the Sears store in Titusville, and I also saw his face in our window on Christmas Eve. But she she told me there's no Santa Claus, so I went in, I ran into the house and sit down with my mom for reassurance of my faith in Santa Claus, and only to get the cold hard truth. I guess she figured, Jimmy, it's about time maybe that we talked about this. And she told me that that face, the Santa Claus face you saw in the window, that was your granddad. And so I was totally disillusioned there for a while. So the Santa Santa Claus story, it collapsed. Well, what about the Jesus story? Does that story collapse too? Does modern science still point toward Jesus Christ? Now, some would say that it does not, that science, quite the opposite, points to an empty, dead-end universe in which we are products of meaningless chance, which really means that your life and mine, when it's all said and done, your life and mine, it doesn't mean anything. I did a paper when I was in grad school on philosopher Bertrand Russell lived in the early part of the 20th century and what he said what he had come to believe was that the universe is cold dark and empty and we are all accidentally here by pure chance and he said it is time for humanity to grow up and get past all of the superstitious crutches, myths, and religions, and face, finally, the meaninglessness of our existence. That was what his prescription was for 20th century modern and 21st century humanity. And you know, Russell probably struggled with the same questions that so many of us struggle with. In fact, I I suppose all of us struggle with from time to time. That is, that science rules out God. And if science doesn't rule out God, then certainly evil and suffering, they rule out any possibility of a good God. Accidents, natural disasters, not compatible with the existence of a good God. And so when we look at our world the way it is right now, the evidence sometimes seems very stacked against there being a God. And it might seem like Bertrand Russell had the courage to stand up and say things like they really are. And you know, the questions that he asks, they're really important questions. They really are. I think one of the, one of the things that illustrations that Bertrand Russell used in his book which is entitled Why, I Don't, Why I'm Not a Christian, incidentally. He said, um, he talked. I might have been the Titanic he was talking about, but anyhow, he was talking about the ship that sank. And uh, there were people on the ship who were praying um, and they got rescued. And afterward, they thanked God for coming through on their behalf and rescuing them. And that's all great. But Bertrand Russell raised the question, well, what about the people of God who were on the boat whose prayers didn't get answered that day, and they went down with a ship? What about them? So, he's saying, how do you answer, how how, how do you say there's a good God and there's suffering in this world? Now, these ancient scientist wise men that we're talking about this morning, certainly had the same kinds of questions. They lived in a world of suffering, too. But I think they have something to teach us that maybe Bertrand Russell hadn't quite gotten hold of yet. They made their starting point for discovering their answers to these very tough questions not in the sciences, because science really is not equipped Though it's a wonderful thing, science is not equipped to answer those kinds of questions. And the wise men would say to us that they discovered their answers to these questions in that other book that they were also studying. They loved the book of science and nature, but they had another book in their hands. And that was the book that led them to this person that they didn't know his name yet, They knew he was the savior king. We know his name is Jesus. And so I would like to ask you this morning, where are you searching for your answers to these hard questions? You may have grown up in a family or you might even have grown up in a church that maybe dismissed these questions or just ignored them or just maybe you got the impression, you know, just have faith suppress those questions, shove them aside, don't worry about them, just have faith. Well, you know what, I think that would be a very fragile kind of faith to live with. It would certainly be, um, you might be able to grab a hold of a faith like that with your emotions, maybe, and make yourself believe it. But you could never grab a hold of a faith like that with your mind, you never could. And you couldn't be very honest with yourself and hold a faith like that either. So how, so how did the wise men discover Jesus Christ? How did they come to believe that the starting point for answering all these questions, it rests in that person whose name is Jesus? Well, you know, in many of those prophecies of the scriptures I referred to a moment ago, called the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, there are scores of prophecies in the Old Testament about this coming Savior. In fact, they are very precise prophecies. they so precise that they pinpointed the very place that Jesus would be born, the very city, the city of David called Bethlehem. And that Jesus would be born into the real history of this this world of ours. Now, do you think that when they were riding those camels, those 500 miles from Babylon to Israel, do you think that had anything to do with that impulse that we find inside of all ourselves to discover a real hope in a world like this? Do you think that was motivating them? I think so. To jump on a camel and ride 500 miles like that into the unknown. They, what were they searching for? They, they had aspirations for meaning and purpose in life. They didn't find them... In science, they needed to look somewhere else. And so their search for meaning and truth led them to Bethlehem. It led them to Jesus Christ. And I think that that's what we learn from the wise men. Now, we even have more evidence about Jesus than they did because we have the very reliable, multiple eyewitness written records of what Jesus of of who Jesus said he was himself. And it confirms all those prophecies that led the wise men to him. So what did Jesus Christ say about himself? Well, he said, I'm just going to run through the list of the I am statements. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What an amazing statement to make. Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. When he said that, he was saying, I am the author of life. He was really saying, I am God. He also said, uh, I am the door to life. If any man will enter through me by faith in me, that person will not live in darkness, but they will live in the light of life. And he capped it all off by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to know God, the God of all reality, the God who wrote both books, the book of science and the book of Scripture. We cannot come to know that God except we come through the door, through the person of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to this whole question of suffering and pain, and why is the world like this? This is just one of the things that Jesus said about that In John chapter 16, verse 33, this was the night before he himself was crucified and endured evil in this world himself. John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I have told you all of these things, everything I've taught you while I've been with you these three years, I've taught you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth, here on earth you will have many trials and many sorrows. Jesus painted the reality of this world as it now is, but he also added this, take heart because I have overcome the world. When he says I've overcome the world, what what is he talking about? well of course Jesus is referring to the cross because on the cross what did Jesus do on that cross he took upon himself those two things that spoil our beautiful world evil we call it sin and suffering pain that comes that is a byproduct of evil that comes from evil when Jesus hung on the cross the book of, uh, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before, that's another one of those prophecies, talked about this coming Savior. He would die as the sacrifice of humanity on a cross. And, uh, and so what, what Isaiah says in chapter 53 is that this Savior, he would bear two things on that cross. He would bear the sins of the world, all the evil of the world. He would take it on his own shoulders as though he himself had committed all those atrocities, so he could die and, and give us forgiveness. And we could be set free from all of our sins. He took the blame for them all. And the second thing he did, Isaiah says, he also carried our sorrows to the cross. In fact, Isaiah said he was called the man of sorrows. Jesus came into our world to let us know he understands our world. And you know what? So Jesus came to show us that all those things that we say are the evidence that there could not be a God of love there could not be a good God Jesus turned that on its head he turned it upside down and by going to the cross he demonstrated that The very God of heaven who made it all came into the world and demonstrated an unbelievable love by taking on all of the pain and all of the evil of the world upon his own shoulders on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And then when evil strikes our life, when when accidents strike our life, when sickness strikes our life, we can come to him and have hope and he will be our healer. And, And there's two ways that God heals. And Nick alluded to the fact earlier. We know that God can work miracles. And there have been times when God breaks into this world of ours and he will, he will work a glorious, instantaneous miracle. Hey, God can do that. and I, We would never close the lid on God's ability and his power to do that very thing. And Jesus taught us that. But there's also another great day of healing that's coming. And the scripture calls it the day of the resurrection because the same Jesus that came the first time to give us hope is, is the same Jesus that's going to come a second time. And when he comes on that day, he's going to put every, we sang it in one of the songs, everything that has been, was, has been wrong is going to be made right. And the kingdom of God is going to come to the earth and all of its beauty and glory, all of its hope, all of its healing, everything as God originally intended. Eden is, is not lost forever. Eden is on its way back because Jesus loved us enough to come into this world and bear the evil and the sorrow and the sin and the pain, and all the stuff that's striking your life today and your family's lives. He took the blame for it because he loves you and I profoundly. And Jesus taught us to pray that prayer. He's going to answer that prayer someday. Say this prayer with me, just the first few lines anyway. Our Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name. Then listen to the next line. Thy kingdom come. Jesus prayed for us to pray. God, let your kingdom come. And then the next line. Let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is going to fulfill that prayer one of these days. And this world is going to sparkle again with the glory and the goodness and the beauty of God. And it's going to be all sin, all evil. It's going to be eradicated. It's going to be gone. And so when it comes to searching for truth, searching for the meaning of our lives, there really are only two answers. There's only two directions here. We can follow Bertrand Russell and just get put on a stiff chin and face a cold, dark reality, and that's it. But the problem with Bertrand Russell's prescription is this, that we humans do very poorly trying to live meaningless, pointless lives. Because we are filled with such deep aspirations for meaning and purpose. Who put those impulses inside you and me for meaning and purpose? Where did those come from? And are we to believe that they're never, ever going to be satisfied? That it's a cruel joke? No. The God who created us put those impulses and longings for meaning and purpose, he put those in us so strongly. He put them there because He wants to fulfill them. And the answer to their fulfillment lies in the person of Jesus Christ and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So the wise men, first of all, I believe they teach, they they give us the gift of hope by, by being an example to us that faith in Jesus Christ is not just a shot in the dark among all the other faiths of the world. It is real, it is true. Jesus is credible and solid. For those of you that are searching this and want to search it more, you can go to YouTube and just type into YouTube, Case for Christ. And you'll go to a guy named Lee Strobel who will walk you through a lot more of the kinds of things we're talking about here this morning. But now there's a second way that the wise men uh, Give the gift of hope. And that's this, by sharing generously and sacrificially from their personal wealth. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says that when they entered the house and saw the child and his mother, Mary, they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know what? The value of those gifts was extremely high. There were thousands of dollars wrapped up in those three gifts. And I think they're showing us again that giving is always a natural part of worship. It's because it's the nature of God to give. And the verse just before that, verse number 10, says that when they saw the star, it says they were filled with joy. And I think that, so here the picture I get of the wise man that, that day was the, 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 the emotion that was accompanying their giving was great joy. Generosity and joy go hand in hand. So today we don't give gold, incense, myrrh, frankincense. We don't give those gifts today. But we can experience the same joy when we give generously and sacrificially from our own personal resources, just like the wise men did in order to meet the needs of others. So, as we wrap this up this morning, two things. I want to encourage anyone who's here who has been searching for purpose and meaning to your life to take a really close look at Jesus Christ like the wise men did. Seek him. Make him the beginning of your search for meaning. Come to him for answers that will satisfy your heart. And place your faith in him. Receive him in the same way that the wise men did. He can become your savior in a very personal way. And the second thing is that as a church family, we can together in a practical way during this Advent season show our love, as we've said earlier in the service, by shopping for our community and then by pooling our resources to be able to help uh, Nick, with some of the things that he's facing and the expenses that he's facing right now, and Justin, who we'll hear a little bit more about next Sunday, and we've set a goal for this Advent conspiracy based upon previous giving, at, at, uh, generous giving by this church family. We've set a goal for $12,000, uh, and I believe, <clears throat> I believe that's gonna happen, and I believe we might even go past that in, in, in just reaching out like the wise men did with generosity to, to meet some real, real life needs here together as a church family and experience the joy that comes from that kind of giving. So, let's, uh, let's just keep uh, the example of the wise men that teach us so much. Uh, let's keep that fixed in our hearts as we proceed toward Christmas Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence, and thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. And we just want to respond by giving our gifts, Lord, at the capacity that each of us have, even to give sacrificially and generously, Lord, to you. And Father, um, we just thank you for the grace that we have in Christ. We thank you that he is meaning and purpose, he gives answer, he helps us make sense out of a world that a lot of times just doesn't seem to make much sense. But we come to Christ and we put our confidence and trust in him that he is the one who's going to make all things right and all things good. And We give you praise for these things and we pray them in Jesus' great name. Amen.